I might not be having a good drawing day. The remnants of that fart. <laughs> what? It's constipation of the art mind. Oh, no. <laughs> you just got to tune it out. God. Tune it out or tune it out? Both? <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, welcome back to True Crime Tried. It's a podcast where... The planets align. I just remembered I was never going to say it They again. aligned this time. <sighs> Those fucking planets just keep fucking popping up. Well, they align sometimes, and these three weirdos get together and talk true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit that can fit into this podcast. My name is Hannah, and I am one of your hosts. <laughs> I'm Sarah, and I'm another of your hosts. My name is Meredith, and I am the third of your hosts. <laughs> and we are the tr- the trine who is not actually a trine. Welcome to uh, <laughs> episode 95. Yay! So that's that. That was the intro. It's not like we haven't done this 94 other times, but that, that was on me, bros. <laughs> that one was on me. That was a, a fun romp. A romp through the intro. Where are we going? Well, to episode 95, which is mine. So it's going to go so good. So good. So good. <laughs> so good. Before it goes so good, though, does anyone want to take the floor? <laughs> housekeeping <laughs> this lunch time Let's see we're almost to 7200 well this was one of my undecided weeks no one gave me any fucking ideas and then i had an idea and then yesterday i found two books to read so i'm shelving this idea for a while okay so i'm on a real wing on a prayer for this one that I'm just making up <laughs> tonight. It does have a little tie into last week because I finally remembered where I had read the story about the bluebell and orphaned at sea and everything. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't outside magazine, although that would have made sense. It was a book. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Fancy that. It's called Psycho USA by Harold Schechter, who's a wonderful crime man writer. Crime man. So Not a criminal. No, he's just a crime (laughs) man. They're different. So the story was in there, and the picture is in this book. That picture of her, like, when she was found, is, like, really seared in my mind. Yeah. So I figured it out. Still, the other suggestions were grand. But this is basically... Subtitled Famous American Keeler- Keelers You've Never Heard Of? Keelers. 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 I struggle. And so I'm going to bring two stories from this book. And they're both somewhat related in that they cool. both, these are 1800s murders. And then there's, rest assured, both villains will be hung. And then there's a little bit of okay. post hanging body talk, which is also okay. fun. All right. That does sound fun. So, mm-hmm. are you ready? Yeah. For Albert Hicks, the worst man who ever lived? I don't know. We've heard of a few really bad ones. What you got, Albert? Albert's <laughs> not the worst man who's ever lived. I'll say that. But Albert's not even the worst man in this book that's ever lived. But the newspaper really liked to do a bunch of, you okay. know, get real dramatic back then. Mm, yeah. Anywho, not a ton is known about Albert Hicks family. His father, quote, had the reputation of being an honest man, but his sons fucking sucked. Albert's older brother, Simon, was described as a dull-witted lout with a nasty temper. Great. Yeah, and so one one night in the mid-1850s, there's really no date here, Simon snuck into the home of an acquaintance, this old man, then he beat the sleeping man to death with a club. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yes. 
So, and he stole several hundred dollars from the dude and then went to Providence, Rhode Island, and bought a bunch of lavish gifts for his prostitute girlfriend. And was pretty conspicuous, got caught immediately. He was tried, convicted, and sentenced to be hung, but he did manage to escape prison and was never heard from again. (laughs) So, that's the first Hicks brother. The second is Albert, who's not the worst man who ever lived, but there is some murder. Okay. All right. March 21st, 1860. Mm. We're in New York Harbor, and there's just a boat out there checking it out, keeping an eye on things, and they kind of come across this sloop pop quiz. Do you remember what a sloop is? It's a boat. It's a long boat, but not very long. It's something about mast, I think, but I don't remember either. I know we did talk about it during Sketchy Catch. It's a sailboat with a single mast. Uh Uh-huh. Typically having only one head sail in front of the mast and one main sail aft or behind the mast. (laughs) Ah, so shipboard. Yes, this is the sloop. Imagine that in your head. But imagine the sail's a little bedraggled because it's just kind of floating aimlessly around. This sloop is called the E.A. Johnson. Oh, wait, its sails are even down. So, like, it's just kind of just out there in the water and looks empty. Kind of like me today. Kind of like all of us, it feels like. So. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not having it. So, the crew that are monitoring the bay, they go over to it. They assume it's just going to be like a derelict vessel, whatever, we'll get rid of it. It's covered in blood. So, (laughs) like, fresh blood. So, it's a bit, a bit of more of a, like. Not even dry blood. Well, I mean, maybe a little dry, but. But fresh enough that we should probably look into this. So, it was appallingly clear the sloop had been the scene of some dreadful and bloody tragedy. So, mm-hmm. they towed it into the port. They called the police. The police came and they started looking through it all. And it was clear that there was obviously some savage butchery that had just taken place on this ship. A coffee pot covered with blood and human hair was found in the corner Ooh. near a stove. Head bashing. A broom, which had apparently been used in sweeping the blood from the floor. Poorly, because that's, that's not going to work, dude. Not the not my cleaning mm-hmm. utensil of choice for liquids. <laughs> no, no. So, dumb. A hammer smeared with blood. Okay. And then marks of blood were found on the ladder leading up to the decks, all around the sides of the cabin, on the ceiling of the cabin. Wow. There were, like slash marks in the walls and whatnot from like a knife or something so they could see the blood was in the cabin it was also outside on the deck and the rail on the deck was also smeared with blood and somehow the police were able to see that there was like these bloody finger like fingerprints kind of trailing through the blood and then somehow based on what the blood looked like the police were able to hypothesize that the the victim had been clinging to the rail and then the murder cut his hand off so he would drown oh i don't quite know how you get that from blood on a rail but maybe it was like additional spatter beneath the railing that like indicated severing of a limb yeah i don't know i imagine a lot more blood would come out like from that too it might like have left like a spray or something maybe it also just falls in the water i'm not really sure anywho bad shit has happened and like yeah murderous (laughs) bad shit if someone's cutting off hands yeah (laughs) So, <laughs> what is this ship? The E.A. Johnson. It had left port a week ago. Um, it was bound for Deep Creek, Virginia, where it was going to pick up a nice cargo of oysters. Ooh. It was captained oysters. by George H. Burr. And then he had two young sailors that would work for him. So we got Smith Watts. Smith is his first name. And his brother, Oliver Watts. And then, for this particular trip, there was a fourth man aboard named William Johnson, who had signed on as first mate, but he wasn't a regular crew. Okay. So, this news all spread quickly. It was in the newspapers. We have dreadful murder on the oyster boat in the New York Bay! And so, when Patrick Burke, proprietor of a shabby little rooming house in New York, was reading his morning paper, he was a little surprised to see the name. William Johnson, one of his boarders, who had left about a week ago to go do some shit with oysters. And so he went to the police. <laughs> shit with oysters. Yeah, you know what? I don't know what they do with oysters. Shuck them. 
shuck them. We have to like pick them off of the ropes they grow on, right? And then you have to shuck them. Shuck it. Fuck it. <laughs> and throw them in a bucket. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's about my peak today. All right. So he went into his oyster shuck and his shit, his oyster stuff. He came, he had come back yesterday, all excited, flashing a bunch of money, picked up his wife and baby, and like left the boarding house saying that we're going to go to Fall River, Massachusetts to visit his family or whatever. All right, whatever. We're going to leave here real quick. Don't worry about we it. We got to get out of here. And more people that read the paper as well were like, oh, yeah, I totally saw a guy that looked like that guy, you know, get on the <laughs> boat, blah, 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 blah. This guy stopped by my store and tried to buy breakfast with a gold $10 piece, which is apparently $250 in today's money. Whoa. The breakfast man was like, I don't have change. <laughs> sus. So the sus man also then went to a bank and exchanged $130 worth of gold and silver coins for actual small amounts of bills, probably so he could eat breakfast. Yeah, he's like, dude, I'm hungry. I'm not going to pay $250 for breakfast, though. <laughs> All right, so he was tracked by the police to Fall River, which he actually did go to like a dumbass. And then based on his actions there, they caught up with Mr. Johnson in Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. And then he was in another boarding house. He woke up. When they searched his room, they found the silver pocket watch that belonged to Captain Burr. They had a bunch of money from the bank that the bank manager was like, yeah, this guy gave me a bunch of gold for. William stoutly proclaimed his innocence, though, and he didn't break it all. He was like, There's, this is a mistake. There's definitely something wrong here. Mm-hmm. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And so when he was taken to the jail there, too, a reporter caught up with them and was like, you, sir, are charged with imbruing your hands with the blood of three of your fellow men for money. And... William Johnson said, upon my soul, I was not on that oyster boat. Upon my soul. <laughs> yes, which okay. means nothing, I guess, if you're a murderer. Yeah. We know where it's going, right? No. <laughs> right. But he was acting so, like, chill and like, this is definitely a mistake. I'm not guilty. That even the police wondered if they had the right guy as they were transporting him back to New York. <laughs> They're like, is it this guy? He's so oddly calm about the whole thing. <laughs> Fake it till you make Almost it. Almost convinced that they had the wrong guy. Yeah, because he was really trying to fake it till he made it. They had the right guy. Yeah. Oh. William Johnson's actual name was Albert W. Hicks. Ooh. All those witnesses that went to the police with their sightings got to come to the jail and like point at him. Be like, oh yeah, that, it was that guy that I him. saw. Yo. He got on to the, the E.A. Johnson, the boat. And they looked through his belongings some more and they even found like picture of Oliver Watts, 17 year old girlfriends, like in his possessions. Ooh. Was like, uh, sir. Gross. Creep. You shouldn't have that. Mm-mm. Well, of course, 17 back then might as well have been like 30. Well, yeah. And I think Oliver Watts himself was a teenager too. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I'm not sure how old Hicks is, to be honest, but probably late 20s. But yeah, 17 like 95. <laughs> <laughs> You old maid, you're lucky I carry around your photo. Fucking hag. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, despite all the evidence, he would continue to maintain his innocence even throughout his five-day trial, which began on March 14th, 1860. Despite the fact that murder had occurred on the boat, he was actually tried for piracy. Oh. Instead of murder. Pirating oysters. Defined by Congress as a robbery committed upon the high seas. I guess that is what pirating is. There may or may not be parrots involved. Ah, uh, no <laughs> parrots in this one. Even though they felt they had the right guy, that robbery would be easier to prove. Number one, yes, because there were no bodies. Yeah. And number two, piracy actually had a more severe punishment. <laughs> So if he was convicted of piracy, he'll be executed no matter what. And it's pretty obviously he had stolen goods at the very least that were taken off of a ship. So they're like, murder, meh. That's going to be a little bit harder for us, but. That kind of thing happens in court today still Mm -hmm. where like, we can't mm-hmm. for sure get him on this, but we can for sure get him and like put him away for a long, long time on something else. So we'll go with that yeah. because I mean, at least if it's a done deal. Something. Yeah. 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 And it will get the point across. Punishable by death. Well, 
Oh God, this is fucking horrible. So Oliver's girlfriend that I was talking about, she actually came to court. She was a witness for the prosecution. She had a lock of Oliver's hair that she slept with under her pillow. Ew! Well, because they were in love. And he was on a boat all the time or something. Well, no, but she- Hair? No. Yeah, hair was a big thing back in the day. Yeah, they put it in jewelry and They put it in like lockets and stuff. Oh. They braided bracelets out of hair. Uh Uh-huh. That's what I want for Christmas. I'm going to make you a a braided hair bracelet under my hair. Yeah, I can do that. (laughs) I'm going to make you a tooth ring. (gasps) Oh. Whose teeth? (laughs) Oh, I thought you meant a a ring of hair around a tooth. I love a tooth. Because my mom gave me that bag of teeth that could Uh, be mine, my sister's and my brother's. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, anyway, young, sweet, haggard, 17-year-old Catherine had to come into court with her little love token and compare it to blood-stained pieces of hair that they had retrieved from the ship. Oh, no. (laughs) Which is not great for forensics. No, but it's, like, good for... It's good for drama. Oh, that too. I'm just thinking, this is the 1860s, like, to have the thought to compare hair like i know to even like shit. collect it i guess and yeah. bring it in yeah okay fine fair enough but it's like yeah, brown hair brown hair got it i mean i don't know <laughs> if they're looking at it with microscopes or they're anything, definitely like, not <laughs> and i think it was more the spectacle of the like heartbroken girlfriend and the bloody hair and the not bloody hair and yeah yeah everything was a lot more like the um exhibits and whatever back in the day were a lot more like in your face <laughs> Yeah, like they put that one dude's skin That little skin piece on a of platter. skin got passed around before. Yeah. It's great. Ugh. Obviously, Hicks was found guilty and sentenced to hang. Hicks did not give a shit. Maintained a show of cold indifference throughout the whole thing. Hmm. However, after the verdict, he did decide to publish a detailed confession, although probably not because he was actually sorry and more because maybe it would make some money. Okay. Oh. It was called. And it's long. The life, trial, confession, and execution of Albert W. Hicks, the pirate and murderer, containing the history of his life, written by himself from childhood up to the time of his arrest with a full account of his piracies, murders, mutinies, highway robberies, <laughs> etc., comprising the particulars of nearly 100 murders. Wow. That was the that title. That was the title. Holy fucking shit, man. Can we keep it under 120 characters? <laughs> this man could not tweet to save his life. <laughs> and in it, he basically described nearly 100 murders. Probably most of them were not true. 100 murders is a lot. Yeah. It was probably a little making some shit up. But I do believe this part. He described himself as a person whose sole ambition from earliest youth was to get rich without working and then give free reign to the passions and desires which governed me. So, seems like he did that. He also did, when he was younger, serve his time in prison, and part of that time was in solitary confinement. And after that, he um, swore vengeance on the entire human race. So, whoa, there's that. That's a little much. (laughs) A bit much. Sir, can you, we need you to calm down. Can you calm down? You were probably in solitary (laughs) for a reason. And then, yes, he basically did live a life of a pirate, just kind of roaming the seas, killing, whatever. How many times during this period I dyed my hands in human blood, I do not know. No prayers, no entreaties moved us. Seemed as if my heart was dead to every human feeling and was a stranger to pity at every soft emotion. Wow. He's saying, I'm so bad. I know. He's like, he is really (laughs) saying, I am so bad. I'm a bad boy. So he was a bad single boy a lot of time. He was actually married to this random woman that he had a kid with, but she doesn't really play much of a role in the story. I'm not really sure why she was there, but. I mean, she had a kid with him. I guess. I don't know why he didn't leave her, I guess is what I'm trying to say here, but. I don't think that was really done as much back then either. Oh, I think it totally could have been done because he bounced from California. He went to Rio de Janeiro. He was like just bouncing all over the place. He could. He was a bouncy ball. He could have left. So they're in New York after all that fun stuff. He hears about the E.A. Johnson and its impending voyage. He knows it's going to be a very easy prey. Because what he heard is that Mm -hmm. the ship had a thousand dollars of cash on it that they were going to use to buy the oysters with for their oyster ship. Okay. And there's only three dudes on the ship, a captain and like two teenage boys. Oh, yeah. Can overtake those in a Uh minute. Uh-huh. 
Easy pickings. Easy pickings. All right. So out on the sea, he got the first boy who was on the deck doing like the night sentry stuff. And he got him with a, hey, hey, look, is that a lighthouse? And the, the boy turned around and Albert bashed him in the head. So that was a fun trick. It was a lighthouse, but Jesus. Uh, yes. So he split the back of his skull with an axe blade. And that was Oliver. His brother, Smith, had been resting below. He heard the commotion, came up the steps, and he was like, what's happening? Albert's like, nothing. And then brought the axe down on Smith as well. Oh. Described it as like chopping a small tree. His whole head came off. Oh, God. Takes quite a bit of force to be able to decapitate someone, so. I'm glad it was quick for him, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And then he went down to the belly of the ship where the captain was sleeping. Captain Burr woke up, fought back super hard, but didn't survive. So, Mm. everyone's dead. Albert's picking up the money. As he went up to the deck for some air, he uh, was really startled to find that lighthouse boy was still alive. Even though the back of his fucking skull had been split open by an axe. Oh, God. Oh, no. So this... Never mind, I said I was happy that it was quick for him, and now Well, it was quick for his brother. The brother was the one that was decapitated. Oh, right, right, right. So Oliver was the one that um ended up trying to cling onto the rail, and he really did cut his hand off. Oh. So the police were right. Wow. And then, after all that excitement, he uh, drank all the ale on board and <laughs> calmed down a little bit. <laughs> Jumped all the corpses into the water. He was a little drunk and it was dark, so it did take him a while to find the head of Smith Watts, but he did find it. Oh. Well, that's his that own is fault his own fault. he dropped it off in the first place. Yes. And then he got a little lifeboat, rode for shore, moved on with his life. So, that's Albert Hicks, the worst man who's ever lived. I don't see it. But I think maybe his fake memoirs, he was very bad. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely a douchebag, but I don't... Not the worst man who's ever lived. But this is New York City. Guess where his hanging was held? In Madison Square Garden. (laughs) No, it was on Bedloe's Island, which I didn't know this either. The future home of the Statue of Liberty. (laughs) Oh, And it was fucking great because they built the gallows on this island and then like rich people, whatever, like charted ships so they could just kind of like be surrounding the island and watch the whole thing. Wow. <laughs> like a float party? Like a float party. Yes, oh my exactly God. like a float party. <laughs> yes. And it was like great views from all angles. There were advertisements in the newspapers offering <laughs> their little trips out, you know, to the hanging and whatnot. Wow. Not less than 10,000 people showed up. Whoa. Fucking shit. For 18 But you also get to go on a boat and see a hanging. I, mean, I would probably do it. Yeah. I'm always weirded out about how much people wanted to watch hangings back then. There wasn't very much else going on. I know, but like, God, that's just so haunting. Like, what if they don't die quickly and you have to see them struggle for Which like, happened minutes. a lot. Minutes. Minutes. I don't want to see that. Well, you would not be one of the ten thousands then. I'd be on no. I'd be on the boat. I would be enjoying the empty restaurants left behind from the tens of thousands not in the restaurants having a nice Sunday or whatever day it was of the week. I would definitely be this fashionably dressed woman perched on cushioned rowboat seats, shielding my complexion from the sun with my parasol while straining for a better look at the gallows. That would be me. <laughs> Like 100%. Yeah, I see it. (laughs) Right, it makes so much sense. And Albert Hicks had a last meal. It was breakfast. So we got him bacon, eggs, bread, and tea. He didn't get any booze. He did like breakfast. He also had a fun visit from P.T. Barnum. No way. P.T. Barnum wanted Albert Hicks's clothes. And in exchange, he would give Albert Hicks a new suit to dye in and some cigars. And they agreed for the, to do the transfer. Did he start, like, the curiosity uh-huh. shops? Oh, uh-huh. yes. Okay. Wait, wasn't P.T. Barnum also, was he not the Barnum circus. and Bailey circus? Yes, but yeah. they, like, sideshow, like, lots of Crazy weird stuff, things. too. It, okay. it was 1860. So he's, like, also a beginning of, like, Ripley's or whatever kind of weird shit. Uh-huh. Anyway, Albert Hicks was pleased with the cigars, said they were fine quality, thought the suit was shit, somehow convinced his jailer <laughs> to get him a different suit that was much nazier, to the point where, as Hicks was going out to his hanging, was able to proudly say, I feel like an admiral. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, so he looked great. 
He honestly stayed chill the whole time, no emotions, just really acted the part, at least, of a cold-blooded killer, so. Okay. If he had any last words, he shook his head and just said, hang me quick, make haste. And then, Sarah, this could have been a hanging that you could have come to. He died very easily. Okay. His neck snapped, like, immediately. Guess you're not that hard, boy. But they left him hanging for about 30 minutes so that everyone could see it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Come take a look. Well, the rowboat's in the back. Yeah. Because like, you got to like be able to like, cycle through. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole thing of a bob. So they, they <laughs> left the spectacle there. And. Holy fuck. You're right. Yes, P.T. Barnum bought those clothes because he wanted to put them in his fun little traveling show. What he had the Barnum's American Museum at the time, in which okay. he had such fun things as Samson, the learned seal, which sounds great. Oh. Crowley, the man horse. Okay. The amazing Murray Midgets, which is problematic. Oh. And yeah. a life-size wax figure of A.W. Hicks, attired in the very clothes worn by him when he butchered his victims with an axe. I would go see that show too, actually. I want to see Samson the Learned Seal. And I'll say Crowley the Man Horse, because what? <laughs> and the wax statue of Albert Hicks, one of his most popular exhibits. But not long after his hanging, a rumor started to spread that he wasn't actually dead. He had been oh. resurrected. Oh, and Sarah, this was published in the November 3rd, 1860 issue of The Lancet. A oh my God. British medical oh. journal. That's pretty legit, although they also did publish... Resurrection? Well, yeah, and they also published What's-His-Face's Vaccines and Autism Guy. But they retracted that, <laughs> saying that he was Hicks was actually still alive when he was cut down. He was wrapped in warm blankets and rushed to the home of Dr. O'Reilly of Brooklyn, where there, Dr. O'Reilly employed an electrochemical bath to cause um he frankenstein he frankenstein him for fucking oh, sure fuck. i'm just gonna quote this the body was at once placed in the electrochemical bath and while subjected to the battery and the actions of the acid <laughs> dr o'reilly commenced a series of experiments for the inflation of the lung in the course of about oh. two hours these were partially successful the pirate began to give faint indications of respiration very slowly but steadily, Albert W. Hicks regained consciousness, though for several days unable to speak. It was then found that his left eye, the side on which the noose had been, had lost all power of sight, and his left arm and left leg were utterly paralyzed. In this condition, he was conveyed to Poughkeepsie, where his sister, Mrs. Gavin, lives, and under her roof, he is now sheltered. So, he was also Frankenstein. So they saved him so he could then just... Honestly, a fake worse than longer sounds good. This is a better fake outcome than actually what happened, to be honest. But um, okay. I just really, <laughs> I just love that stuff. I love that that got published in the Lancet. Yeah, that's a reputable journal, even in the 1860s. <laughs> and the the electrochemical bath, the battery, the acid sounds like a great time. P.T. Barnum, because he had the wax figure of him in the clothes he was wearing. Was like very much, no, that didn't happen. I have his dead clothes <laughs> over here. So he was not a fan of that story. Yeah. Oh, I bet not. Okay. That one's that. So that's acid bath after an execution. Now we have Anton Probst, the monster in the shape <gasps> of a man. Hmm. Well, once again, man, I think I actually would have loved this time because part of his body was actually put into a, a medical museum in New York called the New York museum of anatomy sweet which included twenty thousand novel and astounding objects which included the preserved head of a hungarian with a perfect deer head growing out of his forehead what <laughs> jesus a child with one body two arms two heads and four legs oh george washington's deathbed and okay the head and right arm of anton propes Murderer of the Deering family, amputated after execution. I would go see that in a heartbeat. <laughs> and honestly, once again, just the part of a murderer's body was one of the biggest draws. I would be there for the deer head. Yeah, other weird, like, anomalies, I guess. Honestly, George Washington's deathbed would be enough to get me there. All right, so Anton, Anton, Anton was born in <laughs> Germany. He was a solid, brutish youth. 
who was never brought up to any trade. Unlearned. Unlearned. <laughs> unlearned. He's not like Samson, the learned sail. <laughs> we have Samson. Anton, the unlearned idiot. Well, he was pretty much an idiot. He was just kind of like a big guy. So, like, you could put him together on some manual labor, but that was about it. He immigrated to America in 1863. The little thing called the Civil War was happening. So, uh, he was re- recruited into the Union Army because he just looked like he'd be a great fighter. Yeah, big dude. And you get a little cash bounty, I guess, at that point. So, he's like, yeah, sure, fine. He hated it. So, he just deserted and then just went through this whole thing, which is a Apparently called bounty jumping, where you just join and desert a bunch of times to just make a bunch of money. Yeah. But then he did accidentally shoot off his right thumb while in the midst of, like, joining a new place. So he couldn't do it anymore. Oh, yeah. They're like, no. Well, you don't have have a thumb. You kind of need that for the gun, I think. All right. Well, you know, he didn't really want to go to war anyway. Who gives a shit? He went to Philadelphia, blew all his money in the barn and the brothels. And then he was just kind of searching for work and he came across the farmstead of Christopher Deering. So Christopher Deering was also an immigrant. He had come from America to escape the potato famine of Ireland. Ireland. He was 38 at the time. He had a a nice wife, five nice children. And then they were in this kind of rural area outside of South Philadelphia where he raised and sold cattle. He had a partner. Their life was just fine. Okay. He did need a farmhand, so he did hire Anton for $15 a month plus board. Anton hated it. What was that back then? Oof. I don't I don't know if it goes that far back. I think it starts at like 1900. Oh. Well, Anton quit his job as a farmhand after three weeks because, as he explained, Christopher Deerling wanted him to go work in the fields on a rainy day and he didn't want to go out in the rain. <laughs> so. The farm work's not for you. I don't then. think it's for you. And uh, I don't want to be wet. <laughs> Christopher Deering's wife was like, yeah, that guy can leave. He's kind of creepy. I'm not upset about it. (laughs) Anyway, he blew through whatever little money he made at the farm. Actually went into a poor house for a while. Was doing chores at his favorite saloon. On February 2nd, 1866, he showed up at Christopher Deering's place again and saying that I have no work and I have no money. And Christopher Deering was a very nice man and hired him again. Oh, wow. wow. I don't think so. No. My wife thought you were creepy. Yeah, no, you My wife thought you were creepy. You didn't want to work in the rain in Philadelphia. Like, mm, on, like on a, beggars can't on be choosers. A farm? Question mark? So $15 back then would be 275 today. But free board. Free board, yeah. Probably free food yeah. and everything, too. That's just a bunch of money he can spend on booze. Well, so Christopher Deering hired him back again. Too nice. This is when the wife has to kind of come in and be like, sweet husband. Excuse me? Sweet husband, no. (laughs) Unfortunately, she did not. So April 7th, like I said, they lived in this like rural, isolated community. Their nearest neighbors was a man who named Abram Everett. He subscribed to several Philadelphia newspapers, and every Saturday afternoon, Christopher Deering's son would come over to Abraham's police, pick up the papers, and borrow them for his family to read. Okay. Yeah, you can pass them around. And Only one neighbor needs to subscribe to the paper. Yeah, and he was like, I'm going to subscribe to five, because why not? And so, on that Saturday, though, April 7th, the son never showed up. And they didn't show up in any of the other days. It's a little weird. By Wednesday, Aram Everett was concerned enough to go to their yeah. farm at this point. And mm-hmm. stopped by. No one was in sight. He just mounted from his horse, knocked on the door. Nobody was there. He headed to the barn where he was shocked to find Deering's horses in a state of starvation and nearly dead from thirst. Oh, oh no. And Abraham Everett really went into the fact that these horses were very thirsty. He just talked about horses for like three paragraphs. Oh, I see. The horses were very thirsty, though. So he was very distracted by the horses in the barn. That he just was not noticing very much else. He got the horses drinking, they were guzzling water, whatever. He went back to the house. It looked like there had been some sort of struggle that had happened inside. Like it had been like totally ransacked. But there's still no bodies. There's nothing there. Okay. Definitely creepy. So we went and got another neighbor. (laughs) I don't want to snoop around by myself. I need a second opinion on this. I I just don't (laughs) want to snoop around on this by myself at this point. Yeah. Got another guy to come with him to try to figure out what the hell happened at the Deering place. 
Uh, and they went back into the barn, and now that the horses were not dehydrated, he could pay a little bit more attention. He saw what he thought was a stocking on a hay bale. The stocking had a foot in it. Oh, God. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. So, there's that. That foot belonged to Christopher Deerling. So, that was... And he was basically buried in a bunch of hay. And just, like, his foot stuck out for some reason. That's why they saw him. Oh, so it wasn't, like, a... Dec- yeah, not decap. No. Yeah. It was just kind of, yeah. like, sticking. Okay. It was, like, foot. sticking out. But it looked like... Yeah, but there's... A, and then you pull on the foot. Okay. And, like, a leg comes out. And it's a whole, like... It's a okay. whole pulley mm. system. Still... So they pulled him out. The newspaper was very descriptive and said, quote, His head was crushed to pieces, almost to powdered bone, and his throat Whoa. was cut, nay chopped from ear to ear. Ew. So they really went into some graphic detail. Uh, there was a woman in that same hailbell with them as well. The police at the time didn't know who that was, but it turned out it was... Not his wife? No, it was his, his sister. It was like his sister or her spin story aunt or something she was a spinster which okay. i loved her already but so she like christopher had gone to pick her up at the train station that morning and so she just happened uh, to be there oh fucking bad timing oh man oh it's his cousin okay and i mean it worked out really well for anton because she was wearing a nice fur coat a gold chain and she had a pocketbook that had at least a hundred dollars in cash in it so a nice windfall yeah all right so they found those two then they kept looking through the barn. They found in a corn crib five corpses. Oh, the babies. The mother and four of her children. So one child still missing. The oldest one was like visiting his grandparents. So he wasn't actually oh. there. So that's the only reason that he survived. But the other four were all killed and put into the corn crib with their mother. Oh. Well, obviously this hit the news. Damn. This was the mid-1800s. So within about 24 hours, the Deering Farm was overrun with thousands of morbid curiosity seekers. Hannah. I know. And one local journalist reported as such to say that, quote, he was amazed to see the vast numbers of persons on foot or running as if it were a race of life or death. There were old men who would not have to travel far to find the graves and young men who were making a holiday excursion of the fearful pilgrimage. Jeez. A minister of the gospel on a horseback passed us, but the women outnumbered men of all ages and in all attires from the fashionably dressed lady in her barouche to the poor seamstress on foot. So yeah, I would have fucking been there too. There's (laughs) nothing to do. True crime has been a thing for a very long time. And at this point in time, they were walking all over the crime scene. Yep. And they were like pushing into the barn so they could get little pieces of bloody hay as a souvenir. Oh my god. It's kind of like the Velisca. Uh huh. It's, it's like in the same period. So it's like, yeah. honestly, yeah. I probably would have taken shit. <laughs> it's kind of cool. But mm. luckily, the police like let all these people over on the farm because they missed something very obvious. There was another dead person in a haystack <laughs> that was found by a random visitor. And they're like, Can I you can't imagine? take this uh, you're like no you can't hate the whole body and that was the farmhand that lived there but like oh it's just like guys missed a whole dead body oh, and like you're like you didn't this look was like very a day good, okay. later too after they like first got to the barn i'm like how did you miss a whole dead bo-? it was in a haystack but the random visitor saw like there was like a shirt and a pair of pants on the ground next to the haystack. And so he kind of poked yeah. around. Oh, it was pretty obvious to <laughs> Jackpot. You know, that you need to poke around at this point. Yeah. Because all the hay was missing now. <laughs> yeah. 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 The haystack itself has just totally been like chewed away at. Carried off. <laughs> yeah. And then another person visiting the farm found the bloody hammer that the police had also missed. So honestly, oh. this actually probably helped the investigation. It's a group effort. Yeah. We're, we're all a part of this, folks. And at that point, the neighbors were also like, yeah, he had this other guy that worked for him a little bit too. 30, bull-necked, missing his right thumb. Uh, bad English. His first name might be Anthony. Whatever. So they had some... Um, clues. Some clues to look for. All right. Well, at this point, what was Anton doing? He'd already killed eight people. Yeah. Including the youngest was 14 months old. Aww, he stole a bunch me. of money. Uh, you would think he would probably want to get the hell out of a dodge. He did not. He's down at the bar. Well, no, he's not at the brothel. Oh. 
But, First thing you do. Uh-huh. And he uh, spent a night with a sex worker named Lavinia Whitman, who had a story to tell for the rest of her goddamn life. Oh, I bet. Because, yes. Surprise, P.T. Barnum didn't go ask her. I don't. Uh, I know, right? Underwear. Yeah, really. <laughs> Ma'am, will you be needing these? <laughs> I'm also starting a separate room and it's just used underwears. It's not yeah. part of the museum. It's for <laughs> it's me. It's part of my personal collection. Ew. <laughs> and so he was having a great time. He had the money he wanted for beer. At about five days after the massacre on the 12th, he was at his favorite bar having a nice little drink. Police officers stopped by and they asked the the barkeep if they had seen any suspicious looking men. With one thumb. (laughs) They forgot the one thumb thing. Anton immediately made himself look suspicious by hunching over and like pulling his hat down. (laughs) Not me. (laughs) The police missed that one too. Uh, Oh my God. Jesus. They're so bad. They're so bad. So they just left and Anton was like, bye. And like Uh... tried to get the fuck out. But- God. Somebody was kind of a paying attention because he had basically left all of his possessions behind at that point, which is like, ah, fuck. And so some police officer noticed this burly guy with his hat pulled down, whatever. They knew they were looking for a burly guy. And then he did finally see burly man did not have a right thumb. So he walked right up and just like pulled, gotcha. the, pulled the hat off of his head. <laughs> basically, it was like, no hiding. Good evening. And... Probst said, "Hi there. How do you do?" In some, in like a German accent. Anyone got a German accent? Mm-mm. Well, how do you do? And then the policeman heard the accent and asked, "Are you a Dutchman?" And he's like, "No, me a Frenchman, but definitely not in a French accent." <laughs> so he was arrested. And just okay. during the search, you know, there was stuff. He had Christopher Deering's pistol and snuff box on his person. They went back to where he was staying. I mean, everyone's shit was there. Open shit. <laughs> Pretty open shit. His entire, like, defense was, okay, yeah, I killed the farmhand. Yes. But I had an accomplice, a Swiss cutthroat, that killed everybody else. A Swiss cutthroat. I know. And I was like, sounds cool, but no. <laughs> so his story didn't work. His defense tried to say... Well, it's definitely robbery, but there's only circumstantial evidence for the murder. And since we were on the high seas, it's not piracy. But the jury was like, no, 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 this this man is very guilty. Good. I guess similar to Hicks from before, shortly before his sentence was actually to take place, he also confessed. His seemed a little bit more real. Okay. And he also confessed to the chief of detectives, whose name was Benjamin Franklin. Oh. (laughs) Not the Benjamin Franklin. Oh, well, It's just a common name back then. Yeah. Well, by that point, I think you could probably name your son after Benjamin Franklin around that time. That'd be, he'd grow up to be a police constable. So his story is super straightforward. He did not say he killed almost a hundred people. Eight was enough. Yeah. He had only gone back in the first place because he knew that the Deerings had money. Then he'd seen it from beforehand. Why can't you just rob them instead of butchering them all? Well, he said For real. he just never could get the money because there was always somebody hanging around. So finally, he's like, I guess I just got to kill them all. Couldn't wait till just one person was hanging around and killed that one person. No, because like, so like the day that he killed everyone too... He killed the farmhand first, which is the only one he feels fine admitting to, because he figures that the farmhand would be able to, like, tell on him. The 14-month-old? No, the farmhand. No, the 14-month-old would not have been able to... Put oh, no, 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 no. But anyway, like, Christopher Deering had left to go pick up his cousin at this point. So at the time, it was just the farmhand, the wife, and four of the children on the farm. Well, he killed the farmhand, then he killed all four children by calling them individually into the barn to look at something, and then called the wife into the barn to look at a horse, killed her too. So he, he killed everybody. But like, seriously, let the horses go and then set the barn on fire and be like, come out, set the, the barn on fire. fire and then go rob the house. You don't have to kill nobody. I know. You could just cause a Ugh. nice he was distraction. Not as as he was not as learned as a seal. Yeah. So he could have just taken the money left. He still waited till Christopher Deering, the father, came back with his cousin and killed them as well. So... <laughs> Yeah, why, why not flee and go we really get didn't your need- brothel on? Get your fucking brothel on. 
Well, when Benjamin Franklin asked him why he committed the murders, he would say, I only wanted the money. Yeah. And then this is his reasons for killing everybody. He goes as quote, I killed the boy Cornelius, that's the farmhand, first so that he could not tell on me. I killed the two oldest children so they would not afterwards identify me. I killed the two youngest as I did not wish to leave them in the house alone without someone to care for them. So babysitting. They're so much better off not having a life than having... Uh-huh. And he ended by saying, I had no ill feeling to anyone in the family. They always treated me well. Jesus, you fucktard. Uh, he had a great time in jail. He was in jail for five weeks. He gained 12 pounds. <laughs> he was getting fed, I guess. Yes. He also had the last meal of breakfast. Two soft-boiled oh, eggs, three slices of bread, and a large cup of coffee. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess... They woke him up at 5 a.m. They woke Albert Hicks up at 4.30 a.m. So maybe they get him done early on. All right. So then he was hanged that day after his nice breakfast. And yeah, this is how the New York Times reported it, saying, quote, El Anton Propes, the greatest criminal of the 19th century. No. Shuffled off his mortal and disreputable coil this morning at 10.46 o'clock. For six it sounds so formal, like a fucking wedding invitation. <laughs> yes, you are invited for the mortal coil exit at ten forty-six o'clock. O'clock. For such a thing, it was difficult to feel sympathy or pity. His death was easy, and his ugly carcass swung in the breeze. <laughs> that was the New York Times. I, I love, love it, that, though. I do too. Great job. All right, and then his body pose hanging. It also got taken to a doctor, but, like, the jailers brought it there just so that they could run a couple experiments. So they did a bunch of electrical tests on his body to see how the muscles are affected post-death. I do like that they're, okay. like, involuntarily being... That uh, was the whole thing. It was, like, that was the custom is executed mur- murderers went over to, like, the medical schools or whatever for dissection yeah. or whatnot. And then they also put a battery in his mouth and then one bedroom in his mouth and another one in an incision in his face and then they made him make a whole bunch of like grimacy expressions which is kind of fun oh my god just by like activating like with electrodes his Mm -hmm. different facial Mm -hmm. muscles oh my god wait you can do and they made his legs dance around and stuff so they did that and they took his corpse to a medical college 4 p.m that same day very quick maybe that's why they did in the morning he was dissected before a crowded audience. Okay. The New York Times got in one more snub because Prop's <laughs> brain turned out to be of remarkably small size. Oh. A mere two pounds, four ounces, far below the average weight of three pounds, two ounces. Wow. Wow, that is significant. It is significant. Yeah. Confirming the view of the reporter for the New York Times, who had earlier opined the brutish killer of the Deering family was as destitute of brain as he was of heart. So there's that. His body also did all that electrical, like, post-mortem muscular action thing. But they also did this very, like, intense study of his eyes. Because at the time, there was this idea that it would somehow be burned on the back of your retina the last thing you see oh, at death. the last death. thing you saw, yeah. And so they're like, well, this is perfect, murdered guy. Death is kind of scary. Like, the stronger the emotion is, the more likely something is to be seared on to your retina. Not really, but... Okay. So... That was their hypothesis. That was their hypothesis. And so they were super psyched to also get this man's eyes. They just fucking ripped him Oh my him god, they just apart. ripped him to pieces. Holy so like, fuck. So they lifted his eyeballs. There wasn't like the noose or anything imprinted on the back, which is disappointing. Okay. What they did find, this also got published. Here's a new, here's a paper that got published from this titled Fracture of the Lens of One Eye and of the Anterior Capsules of Both Eyes from Death by Violet Hanging. Petechia. Yeah, but so, like, in one of his eyes, they saw basically, like, a crack running across one of his lenses of his eyes. Okay. Like the cornea. The lens itself. That had been from any of the shock therapy prior to the eye removal? Unclear whether he got the eye before or after. Okay. But yeah, there was, like, this line etched across the lens itself, and somebody there was 
so fascinated by this, he decided to uh, get three dogs and hang them and see what happened. No! Why did we need to know that? I was going to end this badly. Well, two of the dogs did have also a line etched on their lens. One of the dogs did not. It's not a big enough sample size. Also, it's stupid. It is stupid. The author of this paper does say at the end of the paper, too, is, I don't know what any of this means. It's like, glad you hung three dogs for it. Asshole. Dick. All right. No likey. No likey. I don't like the dog part. No, but that, <laughs> that's also medicine back then. So we're going to cheer for the body being electrocuted. Yes. Not just electrocuted, but they literally just, like, tore his shit up. I imagine they just plucked his eyes out and gave him to the one guy. Gave his body to the muscular guys for a while. Before, sorry, to stink, gave it to the dissectionist. And, like, <laughs> and then hopefully kept his brain somewhere, one would hope. Maybe, yeah. That's crazy pants, though. They're like, here, I'm done with him. You can you have him. It. Okay, I now you, you can. What can you do like, with Can it? I have a leg? And just, like... <laughs> <laughs> just dice them up around everyone who needs it it's very like resourceful it's a good use of resources though yes especially yeah. back in the day where they weren't getting bodies human bodies anyway else that wasn't yeah, like body donation fair. so fine i'm not against having the criminal go to the med school i actually think i might have expressed a lot of things this episode that are not super ethical for this time period, but <laughs> I would totally steal a piece of bloody straw and yeah, I would send a murderer's body to the doctor for learning. For learning. I think that's ethical. They don't need it. They don't need it. They don't deserve to be what like buried at sea as like what their wishes were like last week. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is they didn't learn anything. <laughs> Which is almost yeah. better. They did a lot of <laughs> fucked up shit to his body and they still didn't get anything out of it. Well, honestly, better because like at least they got it out on somebody. Yes. Yeah. But also, I feel like the number of like dead murderer bodies that flew through the pipeline was pretty small. So they probably were doing multiple experiments on all of them. This is like every yeah. time someone was murdered, yeah. they're like, I need his ears. I need his feet. Yeah. Like there's people just like trying to get a body part they need for whatever they're doing. Yeah. Fun times. Bid, bid for them. Like I'll do all your grading oh, for, maybe. for this class if you, you know. Oh my, if I can have him first. <laughs> I'll give you an authorship on this paper. Yeah. Like I know that you're also working on the eye. Can I also have this part of it? Like, yeah. Kind of or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It kind of depends. It's super interesting. Because I love the history of medicine. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you're interested in that as well, a book about the flu epidemic of 1918 called The Great Influenza, I believe, by John Barry. The first mm-hmm. third of it was basically about medicine in America because okay. by 1918, it was still barely a profession. Jeez. And so like this was 1860. So we were really fucking <laughs> around and finding out, which was fun. <laughs> when was the Scottish medical school in, in Edinburgh with the whole Birking thing? Early 1800s, I think. Heron Burke. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that was just, although they did kind of fuck it up, because I think they were the reason why they no longer took murdered bodies anymore. Wah, wah. 1828. So they were a little bit earlier than these two murders, but uh, it's the same century. Okay. Oh, there's a movie called Broken Hair and Simon Pegg is in it. <gasps> that makes me laugh. Wait, why is it funny that Simon Penn's in it? Simon Pegg. You know who Simon Pegg is? Oh, Pegg. Oh. <laughs> and I just scrolled. Tim Curry's in it too. <gasps> oh my no god. Christopher way. Lee is in it. Honestly, wow. Broken Hair, it's called 2010. We should I, see that. I feel like, yeah, I might want need to watch this movie. <laughs> Alright, well I I mean no astrology for these boys, because I don't even have yeah. dates for most of these boys. So Super old. And the one that I was going to do that I will probably do later is going to also be an 1800s murder, but I also want to fold phrenology into it, which would okay. fill the bullshit quota of this podcast. So, <laughs> but it's super fun too. Yeah. Wait, you're going to fold what into phrenology? It? The bu- reading the bumps in the skull. Oh, 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 whoa. That's cool. Yeah, super cool. Major bullshit, but like so fun. God, yeah. I don't want to like be treated by a doctor from the 1800s, but I would love to be <laughs> a doctor in the 1800s. You're like, let me see what this says. I just poke him. Mm. <laughs> All right. So that just means I just have stuff for the week real fast. Like, All right. 
Ass news. Ass news. I almost forgot to sing about my ass. Oops. <laughs> All right. So this is going to come out on the 6th of March. That's a Monday. Tuesday mm-hmm. is then the 7th of March. Did you know there's a full moon in Virgo? I did. It's Ooh. also my stepdad's birthday. So happy birthday, Pop. Oh, happy birthday. Full moon in Virgo. Great moon time. Very practical mm-hmm. moon time, but I love a good Virgo. All right. Full moon in Virgo, more about realizing our goals from the last couple of weeks. But Virgo likes to get shit done. Okay. So honestly, like if you I need that. You need that. I mean, like, if you follow the moon cycle, you set a new goal, the new moon, and try to, you know, get another one by the next new moon. So at this point, if you haven't really gone that far in your goal, you still got time. You got Virgo to help you out here. Virgo is going okay. to give you a little push to whatever you need to do over this next Sweet. week. I like that. I need that for the end I of the week. I need that so bad. Well, I mean, I think Virgo is a powerful sign <laughs> and its energy can like it will last through the whole week. I'm just going to say that. I need it. And then same time, March 7th, Saturn enters Pisces. This is okay. a bigger move because Saturn moves through the uh, planets much slower than the moon for one thing. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> bigger the orbit. Longer time this is in a sign. So it has been in Aquarius for the last three years. So this is actually yeah. going to be a pretty big shakeup going okay. from um Aquarius to Pisces. There'll definitely be some change in energy. Once again, Saturn's kind of a bit like thinking, a little bit like wisdom, structure mm-hmm. and routines. Saturn is the ruler of Capricorn, which under makes sense why I had three planners during the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> now we have Saturn moving into Pisces um, after being Aquarius, which is a bit more of a outside the box, can be rebellious, innovative, but doesn't you know doesn't like to go with the flow whereas pisces is a little bit more dreamy somewhere imaginative yeah. it's a little bit softer and nicer as well <laughs> softer in a good way soft <laughs> i like prickliness except in my toilet paper but you need some softness as well wasn't pisces mashed potatoes uh, oh the not i mean i was gonna say the best potato yes. but that's really hard to say but yes it does make <laughs> sense the pisces is the mashed potato all right so we got that Saturn's into Pisces. Saturn rules Capricorn, which is regimented, work-oriented, blah, blah, blah. Pisces is a little bit more emotionally-oriented, community-oriented. So you mm-hmm. will, might start putting your energies more towards building your communities around you into what you would like Ooh. them to be and taking time to breathe for yourself as well. Cool. You don't want to be devil's advocate as much anymore. That's more of an Aquarius thing. Okay. Mm. So we're going to be in Pi- we're going to be here for a while with Saturn and Pisces. So we'll have okay. some like years. years. We'll have some time yeah. to get comfortable <laughs> yeah. here. Figure it out sooner than later because it's going to make big steps for your career. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but honestly, just breathing, resting is huge for you as a person. So remember to do all of those things, and then yeah. Saturday, March 11th, Juno, one of our asteroids is moving again into Taurus. This is is a pretty down-to-earth, down-to-earth kind of peaceful week, honestly. I mean, Saturn and Pisces is going to be in there forever, but like, yeah. Overall, with the full moon in Virgo, down-to-earth, peaceful. Saturn and Pisces, you take care of yourself as a Pisces, ask Sarah. And then Juno... Entering Taurus, which is going to kind of kind of calm down relationships a little bit more. Taurus is stability. stability. It's like when you come home from work and you take your work pants off and you put your home pants on. Those are Taurus pants. And that's yeah. they're such nice, slippers. comfortable pants, man. They don't have a button. I hate over excitable love, but it's also nice just to, to have like some comfort, some stability, a place that feels like home to you, mm-hmm. which could be a yeah. person that helps it feel like home to you. And if you're a fiery sign, you might feel this sooner than others. They can get a little boring. I think I am a boring person overall, so I don't really mind it. But if you're not paying too much attention, you could move from a comfortable to a rut. So keep that in mind with Juno being in Taurus. Okay, that makes sense. Man, home pants, house pants, vest pants. (laughs) Good week, guys. Nice ass tits. Nice ass tits. Some nice ass tits. A lot of positive astrological movements as well. All right, listeners. If you enjoyed our ass news. Wait till you see our tits. (laughs) Jesus. All emails or inquiries into tit 
seeing should be addressed to <laughs> Monday when it yeah <laughs> nothing exciting over here though you're not gonna get anything <laughs> uh but you can also reach us on twitter at true trying on instagram at true crime trying facebook at tct podcast i will post last week's episode i'm a little behind this as well. week because i forgot because i got distracted but that's okay. TCT podcast. And then, like I said, truecrimetrying at gmail.com. Put Hannah in the subject line. I'll field the request for tick pics. Yes. You're going to get a no, but I don't mind you asking. She, she'd still like to hear I'd from you. I'd still love to hear from you. <laughs> Hannah's got a lot of questions for you if you're requesting tit pics. Tip for tat? No, just kidding. Uh, uh, no, there are tits all over the internet. You'll be fine. I was thinking you could send them pictures of, like, the birds. Oh, I'll send you a picture of my tattoo, tit for tat, tat for tat. You're like, I'll show you my kitties' unnecessary titties, because they're both boys. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.